If you have your Bible with you today, please open with me to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will pick up in verse 3 in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, we're only going to have two verses today. Um, just, just to kind of set the stage for you, you remember that um, just before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus reminded his disciples, he told them, he prepared them, that in this life they would experience tribulation. Now, of course, some of the things that the, uh, the disciples, the apostles, went through, some of the difficulties they experienced, were specific to them as they were the foundation of the church. They lived in a, in a part of the world, they lived in a culture that was very hostile to Christianity and to them. And, uh, and I'm not talking about hostility like we see in this country where sometimes people you know, might, might poke fun at us at work or something like that. I mean, they, many of them suffered, they were persecuted, and some were even killed for their testimony about Christ. And, and so, so they understood affliction. They went through affliction. But frankly, um, they, they didn't have the corner on affliction. Because each and every one of us here today has gone through, is going through, or will go through affliction. And therefore, what we're going to look at today is a word for you. Now, you remember just uh, who, who Paul is writing to. He's writing to the, the Christians at the city of Corinth. Now, the Corinthians... Uh, their church was all kinds of messed up. And so you remember 1 Corinthians, he wrote that, that letter. Of course, we think about 1 Corinthians 13, and he talks about the primacy of love, and, and if you don't have love, you don't have anything, and, and so forth. But if, if you put that in the context of the whole book, I mean, that church was all, it just had all kinds of problems. There were pressures from, without the, uh, from outside the church that were pushing in on it. The church itself was embroiled in all kinds of, of, of arguing and fighting. There was immorality within the church. Uh, people were taking sides against one another who they said they were, you know, I'm on team Paul and I'm on team Apollos and they were squabbling and fighting. And, and the church services themselves were a circus. They, their people were, were uh, it, it, was, it, was just, it was just kind of a zoo. And so Paul writes the letter of 1 Corinthians to kind of like grab them by the shoulders and just shake them and just say, get it together, guys, and just, just straighten it up. And so he's, he's, he, he's pretty stern in 1 Corinthians. Since that time, he's undergone some trials in Asia. He's been on some missionary trips. And in Asia, we don't know exactly what happened, but he and his companions went through some severe affliction, and it was so difficult, he says in verse 8, that they despaired even of life. But through it all, they didn't lose heart. And he discovered anew that they were not alone, that Christ was with them, the Father was was comforting them, and so forth. (coughs) Excuse me. And so Paul writes a second letter to the Corinthian church, and evidently they're going to be going through some stuff, or some of them are going through some stuff. And so he writes this letter uh, partially to comfort them, uh, so that they too may experience the comfort that he's experienced. So as we read our text today, um, each Christian should be able to identify with what Paul's saying, because each of us has gone through some stuff in our lives. And each of us, as a Christian, has experienced the comfort that only God can give. And so if you're going through a trial, uh, I, I hope that you too will take courage and comfort from these words. And for each of us, I hope this is, I hope this is a, a pastoral uh, message that will strengthen our faith as we endure affliction. So if you found 2 Corinthians chapter 1, please stand with me in honor of God's word. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 and just read down to verse 4. He says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Thank you. You may be seated. There is a couple things I want to draw your attention to in our text today. The first, I want you to see the blessed God. The blessed God. Now, Paul begins his letter in a way that was standard at the time, especially if it was going to be a lengthy letter. A lot of times, uh, writers at the time would would uh, talk about uh, the, the deity that they worshipped, and so Paul does that. And, and we sign our letters at the end. They had it the right way, I think. They signed their letters at the beginning. So if you get a letter in the mail and you don't if if there's no return address on there or something like that what do you do when when you open it up you may start reading but you got to wait till the end to see who said what you just got through reading they didn't do that back then paul right at the beginning if you if you have your bibles open you can see in verse one he says paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god and timothy our brother he 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 tells them who it is that's sending sending them the letter then he he uh, he greets them. He he wishes them uh, uh, grace and peace, and he immediately jumps into talking about the goodness of God. Now, this is not an uncommon thing for Paul because of the extant letters that we have of his. Almost every one of them starts out at the beginning by 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 giving some sort of a prayer or thanksgiving or exaltation of God. But even though the fact that he's starting this way is is not uncommon. What is a little uncommon, what is a little unusual for Paul, is the formula that he employs. Now, in the culture at large today, it's not uncommon to see somebody that has the word blessed. Maybe it'll be on their shirt, or it'll be on a bag that they're carrying, it'll be on a cup that they're carrying, it'll be on wall art or something like that, it'll be like hashtag blessed, or blessed mama, or something like that. You've probably seen stuff like that. And what that denotes is that I have received some sort of benefit from God. I have I have been on the receiving end of something good from the Lord's hand. But understand when Paul applies this to God, he is not saying that God is our beneficiary. We didn't give something to God that he needed. Now, when when we are blessed, we have some lack in our lives, some deficiency in our lives that God or or maybe we're 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 just, you know, everything's good, but then we get something extra. It's something that we didn't have before, and we, we say that we are blessed. Understand when he says, he, he talks about the, the blessed or the blessed God, he's not saying that, that God is lacking in some way, and so that when we, when we give him praise, we give him thanks, that somehow we're giving him something that he needed. That's not the case. God doesn't need us for anything. Rather, it has the idea of praise and thanksgiving. He is magnifying God when he says, blessed God, or bless God, depending on how you, how you pronounce it. This was actually a common way to start Jewish prayers. They, they, they would actually begin many of their prayers with blessed or, or praise be God who, and then they give some, some reason to praise Him. There's also a, a prayer they would use oftentimes in the synagogue that, that addressed God as merciful Father. So Paul is praising God. He's thanking God. He's giving. He, he's magnifying Him, and he uses three uh, a threefold title of, of God. Look again at verse three, and, and look at these three different titles he gives. First, he tells us who exactly it is he's talking about. He is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no ambiguity in who he's talking about. He says, this is the God that I worship. This is the God that I'm speaking about. This is the God who, who, I'm, who I'm thanking, who I'm praising. Now, sometimes I, we, we hear about people who, who maybe don't believe in God, and they say, oh, well, I got this benefit from the universe. The universe doesn't do anything. The universe is a non-thinking entity. I mean, it'd be like saying, oh, the carpet really blessed me today. No, it didn't. The, the universe, he, he's not saying, blessed be the universe. He's not saying, blessed be Zeus. He's not talking about Allah or some generic God idea. This is a very specific person that he's talking about, and that is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God of the Scriptures, God of the Old Testament. He is the one who spoke to, to, to Moses from the burning bush. He's the one who in Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the God that he's speaking about. Next, he, he calls him the Father of mercies. The Father of mercies. Now, that is not a, a title that we often associate with God. When you, when, you, when you address God in prayer, what do you say? You might say, well, you might say, Heavenly Father, or Dear God, or, or, or something of that nature. Probably none of us have ever addressed God as Father of mercies. But that word mercies has the idea of compassion. And we don't, we don't use the construction that he uses in English because he didn't speak English. And so what he did was he used a common Hebraism. It's, it's, a, it's a, a Hebrew type of uh, way of phrasing things. And it has the idea of merciful father. So he starts out by calling him merciful father. But that's not really the whole idea. Because here the, the word father has the idea of being the source of something. Now this, this may seem, I, I don't want to bog us down too much, but I, I just want to kind of build this out just a little bit. We're actually probably familiar with this type of usage, though we don't recognize it. Because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, every Christmas, we read it. Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah, and it says that he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. And what's the next thing? Eternal Father, or Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is not saying that Jesus is the Father. That, that would be confusing the persons of the Trinity. But rather he's saying that Jesus is the father of eternity. He is, he is the source of eternity. The same idea is, here, is, is used by Paul here. He says he is the father of mercy. He is the source of all mercy. He is, the, he is, he is where all that mercy that you get in your life, that it springs from Jesus. It springs from the father. It springs from God. So God is the source from which all mercy, all compassion springs and lastly, he calls him the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Now that word comfort, in the original language, has the idea of calling someone alongside to help. You ever been carrying a heavy load that's, that's, that's a little too big for you? And your friend's walking by, and you say, Hey, would you grab the other end of that? Hey, would you mind giving me a hand? And then that person comes along, and they, they help, bear up under, bear, bear up, help you to bear up under that load. And that's the idea, it's that that person strengthens, they're, they're an advocate. In the Gospels, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he said, I'm, I leave the, I'm going to send a comforter for you. It's the same word, same, same root word, 
that's used by Paul here. The Holy Spirit, in that case, is who, who Jesus is talking about. And he, is, he's, he says, God is the God of all comfort. Every comfort that can be found is found in God. Now, if you don't get anything else from our text, I want you to get this. And I know I've, I've hit these things, and I've, I've, I've tried to kind of expand them a little bit. But I want, I want you to apply this to your own life. God is not some mean, hard-hearted God who sits in heaven and laughs at the pain of his people. He is not frowning at us, and he, he does, he's not some sadist or something like that. He is a loving, merciful, compassionate, comforting God. And if you would experience comfort in your affliction, you won't find it in a bottle. Some people think they can drown their troubles. Guess what? The troubles float. They just pop right back up, and then you still have to deal with them. You're not going to find comfort in drugs. You're not going to find comfort in acting like the pain doesn't exist. It's still there. You will only find comfort in one place, and that's in God alone. He is the God of all comfort. He is the Father of mercy and compassion. So that's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is the comfort that's given. The comfort that's given. And we see that in verse 4. And I, I want to highlight a couple things from this, from this text about the comfort. Because we read over this and we kind of just breeze through it. But I want, to, I want to slow down and stop and smell the roses, so to speak. First, the first thing I want you to see is he comforts us in all our affliction. He comforts us in all our affliction. Now, some people have it in their minds. Well, when I get saved, that's going to make everything all better in my life. When I get to be a Christian, it's going to be smooth sailing, sunshine and roses, everything's going to be good, no storms in life, no troubles in life, no difficulties in life, definitely no affliction. But that's not reality, is it? If that was the case, I guarantee you there would be a lot more people in this church and every other church every Sunday. But they wouldn't be coming out of love for God. Why would they be coming? They'd be coming to get out of pain. They'd say, oh, where's the get-out-of-pain-free card? Oh, it's down at the local New Hope. Let's go, to the, let's go there. Every person in this life, Christian or not, is going to go through affliction. And that word affliction has the idea of, of pressure. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. Those, those pressures in life. Those burdens in life. The, the tribulation that we face. The distress that we feel. The anguish and the trouble. And, and some, some of us may be going through that right now. Maybe people know about it. Maybe it's just you and God that knows about it. But it's, it, all of us go through affliction and trouble and trials and difficulties and distress and burdens. And notice what Paul says in verse 4. God provides comfort in about half of our affliction. Is that what he says? Look, look at what it says. It says, who comforts us in all our affliction. Every one of them. With every affliction that God permits... He gives comfort along with it. He gives comfort in that situation. That means that right now, whatever you're going through, God is providing comfort for you. With that trial comes comfort. The next thing I want you to see is that we are comforted so that we may comfort others. Look at verse 4 again. Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that, here's the purpose, at least one of the purposes that we are allowed affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction 
with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, when we think of God comforting us, I think we tend to have like a mystical type of, uh, idea in our minds of what's going to happen, that God, in some sort of invisible way, is going to strengthen us. He's going to encourage us. He's going to impart peace that passes all understanding, and that can only come from God, and therefore it has to be invisible. Now, listen, sometimes that's definitely the case. God will definitely strengthen us and encourage us and, and give us peace. But I want you to notice that one of the major ways, according to verse 4, one of the major ways that God comforts his people is through his people. Haven't you experienced this yourself? You're going through a hard time, and maybe you're right at the end of your rope, and right about that time, somebody gives you a call. Is that brother or sister in Christ? And it's, such, it's just an encouragement, knowing that you're not alone. That person's sharing in your burden. Somebody comes up and, and they give you a hug. You go to the mailbox and all you see is bills, except for that one envelope that's a card or a letter. Someone comes and they just, they just sit with you. Someone shares your pain. Now the situation hasn't changed a lick. But it's encouraging, isn't it? It's a comfort. And that happens, again, sometimes, many times, God uses that as his means of comforting us. It's a spiritual thing. There, there, there's community there. There's, there. there's fellowship there. Now, I want to tell you that uh, a few months ago, you all were one of the biggest sources of encouragement for me as your pastor. It was back in, back in November... I was, I was to the point where I believed that I was to the point almost to burnout. And, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that, that every person goes through. Every, I can tell you, every, every pastor goes through. And I was to that point. I felt like I was right up just about to the edge. And then we had, on, you, may, you may not remember this, but we had a service where we talked about Thanksgiving. And we had an opportunity for people to share things that they were thankful for. And that, I didn't realize it at the time, but what I thought was burnout was discouragement. It looked and felt like burnout, but I, was, I, I just got discouraged and I didn't realize how bad it was. And you guys talking about the things that you were thankful for was such an encouragement to me that that it, it it's hard to, it's hard to communicate how much that helped me, and that's what God does for us many times. It, it doesn't have to be burnout. It doesn't have to be discouragement. It's any time that we're going through an affliction. God will use His people to minister to others of His people. And it's just like the spiritual gifts. God doesn't give us comfort just for our own benefit. He gives it to us to. To, to, to share with others. Now, who is it that usually ministers to us the most? Usually it's people who have gone through some stuff. Usually it's people who, who have who've been through some things. They've, 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 they've been there and they've done that. I had a former pastor who used to say, don't waste your pain. Don't waste your pain. That's a, a short, pithy way of saying what Paul says. Comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. That's a great big, and he shortened it down. Don't waste your pain. I, I, really, like the, the, I really like that phrase. So how do you do that? Well, when you're seeking to, to comfort somebody, here's what you don't do. 
Oh, you think you got it bad? Well, you just, you, you just wait till you hear what I went through. Yours ain't nothing compared to this. That's not going to comfort anybody. Then it's, then, then it's kind of like an insult, right? Don't do that. Sometimes, sometimes it's simply, uh, they, they call it, in, when I was going to school, they called it a ministry of presence. Sometimes just sit with somebody and not say no word. That's what Job's friends did when they got it right. They, went, they didn't say anything. Never missed a good opportunity to, to, to shut up. Can't remember who it was said that you know it takes us two years to learn how to learn learn how to speak, and then uh, sixty years to learn when not to or how not to or something like that. Listen, don't don't try to compare your pain to theirs. Don't don't tell them that theirs is nothing compared to yours. Think about those things that were most meaningful whenever you were going through it, and then do that. Again, sometimes it's sometimes it's just knowing that somebody else is is hurting with you. That it doesn't it doesn't change the situation, but knowing that you're not going at it alone. You can reassure them that they will make it through because you made it through. Comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. Don't waste your pain. Something else I noticed if you look at verse four is that this comfort that we receive enables us to, to comfort people in all kinds of circumstances. Notice he does not say comfort others with the comfort that you've experienced, but, but only comfort them if they're going through a similar circumstance. What does it say in verse 4? Who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Not just one that looks like ours. Any. When we've been through things, and, and hopefully you've, you've experienced this yourself, those hard times served either Harden our hearts or soften our hearts. The ideal for the Christian is that, that it will make us more tender-hearted. And then out of that, we'll comfort others who are hurting, even if their pain looks different than ours. And to go along with that, notice that verse 4 says that we're to comfort people in any affliction with the comfort, comfort with which we are comforted, not that we were comforted with. This is an ongoing comfort. Now, you may have gone through a significant trial in your life, and you may have experienced the peace of God, the comfort of God, all those things in a very special, tangible, real, uh, overflowing way. And when you think of God's comfort, that's the, that's the thing that you think of. But listen, each of us daily goes through stuff. And sometimes it's big, and sometimes it's small, daily types of things. But, but as those afflictions are ongoing, the comfort is ongoing. And it should be like a, like a stream or a river. And, and the comfort is flowing to us, but also should flow through us to others. Now, we could, we could spend more time in this passage and, and look at other verses as well. But I want to encourage you today, if you're undergoing affliction or trial or pressure or difficulty, it's a natural thing to seek relief and to seek comfort. We, we all do it. But you're not going to find it anywhere apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our comfort, Paul says later, is abundant through Christ. It's overflowing. Our pain is here, it's so big, but the comfort is so much bigger. 
So turn to Him. Turn to Him knowing that doing so is not going to automatically change your situation. But turn to Him knowing that, that if it is going to change it, it, it will be through Him. But even if it doesn't change outwardly, He's right there with you. And as you do, realize that one of the main ways that God comforts us, again, is through the love and compassion and comfort of others. You are not alone. You're part of the body of Christ. And if you are part of the body, you'll never be alone. If one member hurts, the Bible says the whole body hurts. If you ever stubbed your toe, you know that it doesn't have to be a big member. It can be your little piggy toe, but your whole body responds, doesn't it? If one part of the, the body of Christ hurts, the whole body should hurt with it. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I want this to be a pastoral word to you if you're going through stuff, but I also want it to be a pastoral word if you're not. Number one, because you will, eventually. But as I've said before, don't waste your pain. Comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. And you may not be going through it now, but you will be. Rejoice with people who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And I've been in church my entire life. And I want to tell you that, that New Hope is a special place. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor. There's a spirit of love here. There's a spirit of, of family here that you're not going to find in a lot of other places. And I think sometimes we begin, we may, may begin to take that for granted. But I want to challenge each of, of us, myself included, to be diligent to comfort each other during times of affliction. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. Now as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, if you are undergoing some sort of affliction or difficulty today, I want to encourage you. God is the God of all comfort. You're not going to find the comfort and relief in dope, in alcohol, illicit relationships. Ignoring the, ignoring the pain, none of that. You'll find it in God. Maybe today you need to just pray and ask God for, your, for, for comfort. Now I've been speaking specifically to and about believers. This is, this is a promise of God to the people of God. But I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that today, if you don't have God, you stand condemned under His, His just wrath and that apart from Him, you will not be saved, you will not go to heaven. But the Bible says that today, if you'll repent, if you'll not harden your heart, that God will save you. And if you've never done that, today is the day to do it. Our Heavenly Father, 
We thank you that you are near to the brokenhearted. That like that merciful high priest, you rush to our aid with strength and encouragement and comfort. You've invited us to, to come to you, those of us who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give us rest. And Lord, if there's somebody today who's hearing me that's going through affliction, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. And God, I pray that you would let us, as your people, to be faithful and alert and sensitive to those needs around us and be a, a comfort to those who need it. And God, if there's somebody who needs to be saved, I pray that you'd save them today. In Jesus' name. Amen.